0: So I think it's time now to talk about my early years in real tennis. Um it seems a long time ago now, back in nineteen eighty-three. Um, yeah, I, I was I struggled the first few years in the game. Um I don't know, I, I part of me thought, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the wrong thing? Should I be involved in this? Uh, My dad at home wasn't massively impressed that I was involved in this minority sport, Um, eccentric sport, and you could understand it from a dad's point of view now. Why would you want your son earning next to no money and what future is it for him and so on? Um, But I think the thing that kept me in the game were the characters in the game. Um, I met some, listen, I've met some amazing people throughout my years in real tennis the most amazing people Um, and it started off the first person I met was Alan Oliver who employed me for those of the you know Alan well yeah from the outside Alan was eccentric but actually when you work with this guy on a day-to-day basis absolute delight of a man he was um, he was in It was infectious. His enthusiasm for the game. He he never was the best player in the world. In fact, he was probably the most untidy looking player you'll ever see. Um, And if I copied him, I really would have struggled. But you know what? The guy had a passion. He played. He was always in good form at work. He always had a smile on his face. I enjoyed his company. Um, And I think that the Oxford Tennis Club are indebted to Alan because through some dark years where maybe others didn't want to work there, Alan was there. He kept the place going. Um, and yeah, Alan retired a few years ago from Oxford and, and I think he sadly missed that, uh, he, he really was for that sort of 25 year period, very much the Oxford tennis club, Alan. Um, he loved to play, always played tournaments and up until the end, the guy was never injured. He used to throw himself into walls and all sorts of horrible positions on the tennis court, but never injured was Alan. Never ill, never injured, never ill. Um, incredible. um, But yeah, Alan was sort of that first eccentric character that I met. Um, And then within the game, you would get eccentric students. I can remember two eccentric students, for example, Robert Peel and Robin Geffin. Now, those names might ring a bell today because I think it gives me a massive amount of pleasure that these guys were passionate about real tennis when they were 18, 19 years of age. Robin probably a little bit older Um, and... You know, their passion for the game or hopefully some some of the things that I passed on to them at the start and got them enthused about the game. You know, these guys are heavily involved in the game today. I know Robin, for example, is, is invested in sponsorship um, and without sponsors, the game doesn't happen. So to Robin, if I helped you along the way spend your money on real tennis, um, I don't know if I should apologise for that or thank you for that. Um, but no, it's been great to see your name crop up, Robert at Hollyport. I understand is one of the one of the owners of the club, um, and I I've, I've bumped into him on the odd occasion. I think that's great news. You know, when when these are guys you started as young students to see them go through their career, and their chosen career, and invest back into real tennis. I think it's, it's very fulfilling for me. Very humbling um, is a is a word. Very humbling. Um, so back to the characters I met in the game uh, I have very fond memories of the four, the first over-40s competition um, Alan decided with Lord Willoughby de Brooke who was a, was a marvellous character very much, you know, he was part of Gentry is what I saw him as, as an 18 year old he was very well spoken, well turned out but again, really, really kind guy to me very, um, yeah, just a nice bloke that's the best way to describe him, nice bloke um, but the over-40s event was it was the first event where they are going to be professionals. I'd, I'd sort of been involved with the Browning Cup, but I'd, I'd not really played at that stage. But I was becoming a little bit better player at this stage. I was probably mid-30s handicapped, something like that. Um, so it was professionals involved, and I thought, well, these blokes can't be any good. They're over-40, for fuck's sake. So you know, they're going to be old and knackered out and, you know, here I am sort of reminiscing at 52 and at the time I must admit that I thought, well, I think this bloke's at 40 years of age, shouldn't even be playing tennis. But um, they were and they played it bloody well too. Um, but I've got to talk about some of the cat four characters that walked through the door. It was David Johnson, David Cull, Frank Willis, Tony Garland. Um they all sort of arrived at the same time. They were all chuffed to bits to see each other. I think David and David had sort of grown up together and knew each other well, and Tony and Frank had come down from Manchester and they were all pleased to see each other. And I think sort of they sort of took me under their wing a little bit, the four of them. Um, but I spent the weekend with them. I watched them play. Frank as a player was phenomenal. I sat there with my mouth wide open. He plays chewing his tongue, but I, I just sat there in awe you know the game now was starting to make sense to me I could see what he was doing I could see his backhand I could see you could see when you relaxed how well you could play um and the guy was just a good player he was a top top player but more than that he was a character he was an absolute character of a person uh they were all telling stories about each other um some you could re- some you can uh actually say again some you probably couldn't um but they were decent guys, really, really decent guys. And if I go through it the sad one, David Cull passed away quite a few years ago now, David. Um he was the head pro at Lords for many years. Always very nice to me when I went to Lords on occasions. Um he was probably the quieter one out of the group. He was the quieter one. Uh David Johnson. David and I became good friends actually. Um I don't know, just over the years, you know, I'd go to Queen's to play and I always got on well with David and we always had lots of phone calls and, and I've stayed in contact with David. Uh, he's left the game now, I don't see him so much and that's what's good about this. It's it's sort of made me think about things and you know, I need to get in contact with a few more people again and, and David Johnson is definitely one of those, probably definitely one of my top people in the game, David Johnson. Um if you ever went to Queens, you always met with a happy, smiling David Johnson. Um, full credit to the guy. Absolutely full credit to the guy. He did everything right. He played well. He was a good club professional. He had a great sense of humour. He loved his football team, which was unfortunate because they're pretty rubbish. Um, and he—he he just. We talked about our kids, and we, as say, we we just got to know each other very well. And David was probably involved with one of the funniest things I've seen in real tennis. It was the classic in France playing the French Open. Good player. David didn't speak a word of French like myself, like a few others. Um, Very uneducated. So we didn't speak this French language. Um, David thought he'd won. He he hit a shot, wins the point, and he starts to walk to the net. I'm not sure he was playing at the time. And he started to walk to the net to shake hands and... um, yeah, he hadn't won at all. It was, uh, there was a chase and he had to change ends and I think it threw him off a little bit and he went on to lose that match but David being David, he came off court and he sort of saw the funny side to it and um, yeah, he, he laughed about it but uh, it, it, was, it was definitely one of those funny moments in the game. Frank Willis, I think Frank is, was he the most gifted player I've ever seen play? take Rob Fay out of this equation. Rob Fay is a different person. I'll talk about Rob a different time, but Frank Willis as a player, it just looked natural. You know, me, I struggled with the game. I found the game so, so difficult. I was a good sportsman as a young kid. I was a good cricketer. I was a good footballer. I was a good athlete. Um, But as a real tennis player, what's the best word to describe me? Uh not great I I really struggled I think it took me probably 10 years before I started to feel a bit more comfortable and feel I was getting somewhere and I'd I'd have real low moments I I would go away to an event and I'd play in it and I, I it used to depress me was the best way to describe it I used to feel depressed because I thought I can't be that bad I'm doing this for a job I cannot be that bad and quite a few times, go to the Seacourt Silver Racket. I, I, and I want to give up. Um, in those days, we didn't play many events, to be fair. We we played a few events, about four events a year. Um, so it wasn't like you could have a bad result and go and put it right the next week. Those days didn't happen. You had to sort of sit on it for months. And I think that was half my problem is I wanted to win so much that when I got to an event, I froze. I used to get headaches before I played. Um, it meant so much to me. I wanted to win so much. I wanted to improve so much. And I think... You know, if you sat on a bad result for six months and you go and try and put that right, it wasn't a great thing. And and I could see these other people getting better than me and, and I'm thinking, I've got, I'm got i a better sportsman than you. How, how can this be? And yeah, as a game, that's probably what I enjoyed so much about it. I, I found it difficult. And again, that's probably why I enjoyed the coaching side. I, I did find that um, I could relate to people who struggled with it. I really could relate to people. It wasn't something I found easy at all. Um, so when you look at Frank Willis coming along, floating around the court, hitting great shots, doing all sorts of things, um, yeah, it, it, it was a pleasure to watch, I love the story about Frank Willis, I don't know if it's true or not, but I love it as a story that Frank was a bit of a naughty boys kid, not a bad kid, I think he'd got in trouble a little bit for doing things he shouldn't have done, uh, but who doesn't, um, and I'd heard that he got in front of a judge who sort of could see the good side of Frank and he decided to send him to the Manchester Racquet Club to work rather than send him to a school for naughty boys, which I think is a lovely story, by the way. Um, if somebody wants to pull me up on that and tell me I'm completely wrong, please don't, because I love the story. It's um, It sort of sums Frank up in lots of ways, that he's a cheeky character, but a heart of gold. Um, Tony Garland, just... Tony's Tony, and he? he's um, he was 100. And, he looked 150 that day that I met him. Um, I saw him not that long ago, and how many years down the line? We're probably 30 years down the line, and Tony still looks the same to this day. But yeah, Mr. Miserable, he's a grumpy old man, but heart of gold again. Um, but he's and he's not a grumpy old man. He's he's delightful. He's a great character. He's passionate about his work colleagues at Lords. Um, He's got some amazing stories too. He's got a he's he's had a great life with Tony. So again, someone's company oh, I massively enjoy. All of those four guys, their company was just amazing. And I think that, that's why I spent so long in the game. Um people like that. And they were the first sort of group of people there at that age. Within that age group, I met obviously Chris Ronson who I've spoken about, um, Lockie Ducar. Amazing. I didn't know Lockie that well in those days. I just saw him as a great player. He was a notch. He was a level up when it came to playing. So was Wayne Davis. Um, I didn't know Wayne that well. I, again, I enjoyed his company when I met him. Um, but but yeah, the the English guys, as I call them, who lived and worked in England, I got, I got to know obviously better. Um, Wayne was a great character. Lockie, great. Another guy who I really enjoyed his company was Colin Lumley, underrated guy in real tennis good player, uh, lefty, but I like, Colin was different from everybody else, everyone else in real tennis was a little bit all over the shop, what what um, Colin was, Colin was organised, Colin was a businessman, his rackets were all the same, his shoes were proper, everything with Colin, his shorts were ironed, his shirt was immaculate, and he took that onto the tennis court, he probably wasn't the most gifted, but he probably the most organised, um, Later on, he went to, on to become a very successful businessman. And I can understand that with Colin. He was, uh, you know, if you wanted to get a straight answer, speak to Colin Lumley. And I, I like that. You know, I'm a very straight person and I like Colin for that. And we used to spend a lot of time sitting and talking about the game, um, where the game is, what the game's doing, how I can get better, what I should do, what I should do with it when it comes to work and balls. And anything real tennis, Colin Lumley will sit and talk to you forever. All right. he He will sit and talk to you. If you're interested in real tennis at the time he would have sat and spoke to me forever and i appreciated that you know i, I was a i was a sponge i wanted to know more i really wanted to know more and, and these guys fed that for me they kept me going um didn't see them that often but but when i did i yeah i, I, I really sort of enjoyed their company um that sort of moves me into the the sort of the group that were more my own age. There was a group of what I call the younger guys at the time, between sort of probably 17 and 25. Um, and I'm going to name a few, but the good thing is about the podcast, if I forget someone here, um, I can come back and I can talk about them another time. And you've got a group, the Goodings, the Brays, the Tableys, the Phillips, the Peter Brakes, the Rob Fays, say I'll talk about another time. Um, Poor Tabley springs to mind straight away. Uh, again no longer in England back in Australia which for me is a massive loss I think towards the last few years in real tennis for me a lot of the characters have gone out of the game um David Johnson had left the game Paul Tabley leaving the game John has had gone back to Australia um yeah, the characters that sort of I grew up with had, had disappeared in a way. Um, and I miss those times. We, we had some great times. We used to have a, a pro team for football and cricket. We used to all get together. And some of the cricket matches we had were, you know, were great fun. We had some good cricketers as well. Kevin King, who I, I worked with for a short while. I'm very fond of Kevin. Great, great quick bowler. Loved his cricket. Um, but then you used to get Tabley and Ducar opening the batting. And that was something to behold because... They would just talk the other team out of it. I think they just drove them nuts by talking all the time. And, you know, we had some great... We did have some really good... Although we were... We competed against each other. We were a very close unit. We used to do a lot of things together at events. We all spent time in each other's company. Um And, yeah, good times. Really good times. I can remember playing football a couple of times. We had some great football matches at the Oratory School. Um... Kevin Sheldon would come and play and Andrew Davis and David Johnson and Jonas would play on the wing. So yeah, we 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 did have some really good time. And I think Real Tennis is, is not in such a good place today because of that. I don't see those things happening. I know jobs have changed and people don't have the time and so on. But I think the group, the group of pros now are not as close as they were in those days. And I think that's something that, you know, I'm not saying they they spend every minute with each other, but uh, yeah, possibly something that needs to be addressed. Um, so go back to this group. What can I say? The poor Tabley. I have to start with poor Tabley. Um, as I say, I miss him. I miss, I miss the bloke's company. I, I, I just makes me laugh. Just used to make me laugh. Very gifted guy as well. Um, loved all his sports. The members loved Tabs. Everywhere you went, you know, Tabs, everyone just loved his company. He was just something else. He was just... You put him in a room with people, and people would gravitate towards him um probably the best way to sum him up was my first introduction to him i you know uh I was with a uh I was with my first wife. we weren't married at the time we were very young twenty twenty one twenty two and we'd made the trip to Bordeaux. And I didn't really know anybody. this was the same time as the David Johnson story. I didn't know anybody and We stayed in the little hotel across um, Le Chamis, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, across the road from the tennis club. and I'm laid in bed at night and the the windows open a little bit, it's ground floor, and all of a sudden this character just jumps through the window, introduces himself, and walks out through the front door. Um, And that was Portable. That was my first introduction to him, Uh, and it wasn't, I don't know. It, it was just surreal. He just walked straight through the door, um, introduced himself, and walked out. And and from that day on, we, he's poor Tabley, and there is no way to describe the guy. Uh, if you're in his company, you know it, and you love it, and it's as simple as that. And that's a character I think the game has lost definitely in the UK. Definitely, definitely, Paul Tabley as a character. Um, You couldn't help but enjoy his company. You couldn't help it. Uh, You've got other guys as well. Two English lads that spring to mind. You've got um, Mike Gooding, Chris Bray. Now, Mike Gooding's still in the game today. I've got a lot of time for Mike Gooding. I think he's one of the best coaches I've ever seen. Um, He's obviously working in the States now, so I don't see as much of Mike as I would like to, but I, I stay in contact with Mike on a fairly regular basis. Um he's like myself has been through some times over the last few years been a little bit difficult, and we've we've been in contact and I think we've been good friends for each other um but I think what's i it needs to be said about Mike Gooding. people see Mike Gooding is a bit dour, a bit serious, a bit grumpy, probably a bit like myself, but what you need to know actually behind that there is one of the most fun people you'll ever come across. Uh, when Mike Gooding's out, when he's got his sense of humour head on, Mike Gooding is a very, very funny person. Sharp wit, great company. Um, yeah, if I, if I had to be in a room of people for, for a good night out, good company, Mike Gooding would be there. Definitely, definitely would be. Chris Bray. Chris Bray. I've fallen out with two people in real tennis, that's Chris Bray and Chris Bray, over innocuous things, they were, one was an event I think, Uh, I was doing something, trying to get an event on Sky Sports and putting Perspex in nets and Chris Bray got the arse because he couldn't practice on a Friday morning and it ruined his practice or something and I sort of looked at the bigger picture, Chris thought of himself and... We had a fallout about it, and you know what? We put the phone down, and we're probably—he's probably my best friend in real tennis, if I'm honest. Um, we talk a lot. Um, we, yeah, Chris is when Chris is at work. Chris is at work, but Chris Bray as a professional, fantastic, runs the best clubs, uh, gives good lessons. Top player, Chris Bray was a top player. So he, when he was at Petworth, was running one of the best, busiest clubs. You know, Petworth was always busy, had some great members, and he was a top player as well. Real, real competitor, Chris was. A real battler. I wouldn't say he was the most gifted, but talent-wise, you know, But he was a trier. Chris Bray was a trier, and, you know, to this day, he's now working at Middlesex University Tennis Club. I bet that club's busy. I bet you he's giving great lessons and, and doing all the things that are good real tennis professional should do and that's how I would describe Chris Bray Um, take the friendship side out of it I would describe Chris Bray as a very very good real tennis professional Um, he would be the sort of yeah a, a very very good professional I think the games now I don't quite understand why the game isn't involving Chris Bray more if I'm honest um you know, I got asked to referee the World Championships a few months ago. Well, I haven't been in get involved in the game for five years. I think, what, why isn't Chris Bray involved in it? Why isn't Chris Bray involved in coaching policies and so on? Um, not quite sure, really. Uh, I think the game, again, I'll talk about it at another time. I think there's, there's politics involved in any sport, isn't there? There's all that sort of shit. But what the game needs to remember is that that guy's knowledge um, is second to none. It's absolutely second to none. I think the game... You know, should should be tapping into Chris Bray's knowledge, but that that's for another time. Uh, yeah, the game the game has changed. I, again, I'll talk about that in future, where I think the game's going and and where I think it could improve and what it what it does well. It definitely does some things well now, that's for sure. I've got other friends in in the game, Adam Phillips, Andrew Lyons, really good friends. Uh, they're a little bit younger, and I'll talk about those guys in that sort of next category of people. I want to sort of try and put it into categories if I can. So just summing up those sort of guys my age, the Chris Brays, the Tabs, the Mike Goodings, Adam Phillips, um, really, really top people. And I feel very honoured to have a lot of them as friends. I feel very honoured to have a lot of them as people I've worked with closely who I respect um, as people. I might not agree with some of the things they do. I might not agree with the way they are um, in work-wise, you know, different, different things. We've all got different opinions. And I think if someone hasn't got an opinion, you know, they've got no passion. I keep coming back to this word passion. And all those guys that I've talked about were all passionate people. All very, very passionate people. I'm going to talk more in the future about people like Adam Phillips, who's just that little bit younger. He started probably a couple of years after myself and Chris Bray and and Adam. You know, Cambridge started with the Brian Church, and you know, Chris Bray started with Brian Church. So it wasn't the easiest of starts. I met Brian Church on a few occasions, and yeah, the game. Talked about oh he's a character he's a character he's a character listen from what I used to hear a lot of people didn't go and play real tennis because of Brian Church um, is that you know so I I always look at all sides to it and I met I can only go by a game by what I saw I met Brian on a couple of occasions did I think he was the best advert for real tennis no I didn't at the time um, I think but then I I. I found out years later that this guy was a super talent and got injured. And I think that's a a story that's not been told. I'd like to know more about Brian Church. Um, If anybody out there knows more about Brian Church, I'd love to sit down and talk to you. Because, as I say, the only couple of meetings I ever had with Brian Church weren't the best. Um, Not bad. They weren't bad. But, you know, he wasn't in a great place at the time. And it was sad to see. But, you know, when I speak to David Johnson, David Cole, Frank Willis... They spoke really highly of um they spoke really very, very highly of uh of Brian Church. And yeah, it, it to me it's it's a bit of a sad story. A bit of a sad story. Um some of the Australian pros that you know, Frankie Filippelli, for example, what a great lad. What an absolutely great lad. Uh didn't didn't know Frankie that well, obviously we would meet on occasions. I played him, I was lucky to play at the Sydney court, played Frank in, I think, the first Sydney Australian Open. And delightful guy. Really, really like Frankie Filippelli. Uh, I hear that he's very, very highly rated in Melbourne. Uh, people think of him very fondly. And, um, yeah, again, top bloke. Again, someone who, whose company I'd like to have spent more time in his company. you got Rob Fay was a few years younger as well. Rob and... A guy called Peter Mears, um, Mike Happel, who wasn't a professional, but some of those younger Australian guys, really good guys. They kept themselves to themselves, I used to think, that maybe that wasn't, I was quite shy, so it wouldn't, I sort of wouldn't go out of my way. But listen, you know, they've all been very successful in what they've done in different ways and... And, yeah, it it would have been nice to have spent a little bit more time with them, if I'm honest. But that's down to me. That's down to me not sort of going and introducing myself and talking. Um, That was a problem I had as a younger kid. I wasn't sort of that outgoing. I think for me, up until I was about 25, I was just someone who got my head down, strung rackets, practised hitting shots off the penthouse badly, and, yeah, just, just, just sort of... And my coaching, come back to the coaching. Coaching was the area that I... I think I thrived in. I didn't thrive on the playing side of it, and I wanted to. If I'm honest, I would have rather, if, you know, looking back now, if I could have been the top, top player, and a top, top player is in my eyes, not not anybody else's or results, but I knew I wasn't a top player. I knew I struggled with the game. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a difficult game for me. And I'll, I'm gonna finish on that note. I'm gonna be honest to people. I, and I never told people when I was playing. I never sort of shared my frustrations. I never opened up to anyone. But I'm telling you now, I'm 52 years of age. I don't play anymore. That game really destroyed me. Not, not the work side, the playing side. I, I, I never, ever, ever felt comfortable playing real tennis. I think I couldn't ever walk off court going, yep. Yeah, that was perfect today. Did that really well. I got better and I got to a naught or a one handicap, which was good, um, goodish. I think in today's, if I'd have had tournaments, I think what I needed looking back was tournaments playing. You know, for all you people listening, or for for those of if any of you are listening, playing. For me, it was playing a tournament, having a bad result, and having four months before I played again. Now I'd have got that in my system, and I could have played again. I could have played again. I could have gone. And played at different clubs with handicaps and so on. If, yeah, it was playing. It was that's what I lacked. I'd never played an individual sport like tennis, um, and I didn't have that sort of experience. You know, when you look at your Chris Brage, your Chris Ronaldson's, these guys were all sort of county lawn tennis players. Rob Fay, lawn tennis. Nick Wood, squash. Wayne Davis, squash. Lockie Dewcar was tennis and squash. Colin Lumley, same. And and I I think looking at it. It is something that I struggled with. Um, but it was, I think for me, it wouldn't have been... Yeah, I could have looked at myself on video. I'm very much into that side of it and looking at... But to me, it would have been about playing. It would have been playing events and getting comfortable with matches and not trying to hit the ball so hard at certain times. All those things that um, I probably should have looked at. But hey, you know, playing wasn't the everything. But it, it was to me, if I'm honest, it was, that was my passion. Um, as Graham Hyland said... And Graham Highland is a fantastic character as well. Um, can't talk enough about Graham, but I only met Graham in recent years. I've heard some amazing stories. If you get the chance, and you know, Chris Ronson tells stories about Graham Highland and, and it's not right for me because they're sort of second-hand stories in a way and I don't know the. But Graham Highland I met a few years ago and he's not been this summer, but for the last three summers he's came come over and stayed with me and... It's it's forty-eight hours of madness, it's forty-eight hours of smiling, it's forty-eight hours of laughter, it's forty-eight hours of intrigue, it's forty-eight hours of shock, it's forty-eight hours of of the best times in the year. I love I love his comp I've missed him this year. I really have missed Graham Highland. But Graham Highland said to me, and I'm gonna quote this again because I love it as a quote, Graham Highland. When you get up as a real tennis professional, what do you strive to be the best at each day? The podcast you just heard was published with Anchor. Got something you want to say to the creator of this show? Send them a voice message using the Anchor app, free for iOS and Android.